This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together, and we're easing into the weekend. I hope you have a great weekend. But before you do, we got some work to do. We'll talk in a few moments with Ted Malik. He will march us through a history of, I mentioned this on the show yesterday, he'll march us through a history of the Democrat Party. They're the racist party. Consistently racist, the Democrat Party, since its founding. And Ted Malik's written a piece. It's excellent. We'll walk us through it. And we'll talk with Jeffrey Stevens. Jeffrey Stevens is an author whose book is called Fool's Errand. And I read it. I had him on the show a month or so ago, and it was a good book. I was in the middle of it. I finished it, and I'm doing it as a kind of Father's Day uh, thing. The book is about a son who gets a letter from his father after the father has died. The father leaves it like in his uh, safe deposit box, and he gets this letter. It sends him on a wild goose chase, but it's it's really a wonderful um, it's a wonderful treatment of father-son relationships and kind of success and failure. It's very well done. So we'll talk with Jeff Stevens after uh, today, and I'll put that up. All of it's up. It's the social. Excuse me. It's all on social media uh, at Eagle Ed Martin, Ed Martin Live on Facebook, uh, Gab and Parlor both at Ed Martin, and you can always visit Pro America Report, Pro America Report dot com, and uh, see all the interviews there and get signed up for the daily email. And uh, that's what you will need to know, what you need to know every day, Monday through Friday. Okay. Uh, also, by the way, tune in any of the places I just mentioned. You can watch my live stream each morning, 945 East Coast time, about a 15-minute introduction. Clarify what you need to know for the day. Let me, um, let me see. Let me say this. Um, the G7 meetings are taking place in, uh, in Britain. And, of course, there's getting a lot of puff coverage of the president. There always is for the Democrats. Unless you're Trump, you get puff coverage. Uh, and it's very silly. And I, on my... On my um, on my live stream, I was talking about how Jill Biden wore a, a, a gaudy shirt that said love on the back. It is silly. But here's what I want to tell you. I've been thinking about it all day. And I want to tell you the G7, did you know it started in 1975? 1975 was right about when the Republicans, because of Nixon, and then Ford did the same, and because of Kissinger, the influence of Henry Kissinger, they, they, they went down the path of these globalists. They went in for all this globalist stuff and the Democrats came along. The Democrats had been conditioned to a lot of it because they wanted to grow government and because FDR and uh, and and uh, uh, Mrs. FDR wanted to have the United Nations and all this internationalist stuff. And that's when the really when the Republicans went off the rails. Now, Reagan brought it back. Reagan brought it back. But a lot of the policies that Reagan brought us back to in, in terms of facing off against the Soviets had to do with our military and our toughness. But he didn't win all the debates in terms of policy, especially on things like trade, international trade. From the 1975 on, the G6 at the time, then G7, these meetings were all about sort of working together for a globalist vision. And if, if it was just about saying maximizing America's interests in relation to other people, you know, get in a room and don't, don't have miscommunications over dumb stuff, I would say, okay. But it didn't. It became this globalist movement. And, and after Reagan, you got uh, George H.W. Bush. Then you got all of Clinton. Then you got W. Bush. We used the crises in the Middle East to, to build more entanglements, all that stuff. The G7 right now is, insofar as it's good for world leaders to get in a room, okay. Other than that, the G7 part is ridiculous. There's no Russia there. There's a bunch of other nations that are missing. I mean, the, the biggest enemy of the world right now is communist China. And if you're not clear on that, and I think they are talking about that a lot. But here's what I want to tell you. It's probably time to get rid of the G7. Don't think of it as a unit. It's also time to have conversations about why is NATO? Why are we paying so much for NATO when we're supposed to be what? Defending Europe from Russia? You know, Germany has a massive contract with Russia for natural gas, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. 
So why are we bothering? We, we don't. We're not going to have a war with Russia in in the in the North Atlantic. It's a dumb. It's it's outdated. And again, we have to be willing to talk about things that are outdated. And Trump did this. He said, "America first. You got to pay your share." We're, you know, he didn't ultimately pull out of NATO, but he said, "Why are we here?" WTO, you know, uh, the, the World Trade Organization, WHO, the World Health Organization. All these W O W blank O are a disaster for us. But here's the pivot I want to make, because I was doing an interview with uh, George Galloway, the uh, member of parliament from from uh, from Scotland. He was in the in the in the British parliament for a while, a number of years, big leader and a real liberal and a real character, too, and very smart. And we're talking and I said, I'm going to try to explode his head. And here's what I would say. The American people need to demand that our leaders reaffirm, rejuvenate, reset, reassess. No, that's not the word. Not even reset either. Reaffirm rejuvenate the Monroe Doctrine. The Monroe Doctrine. You say, oh my gosh, what's the Monroe Doctrine? That's antiquated. Well, of course, the Monroe Doctrine was was at a time back in the 1820s when Monroe, only the, the country was only going for, you know, a little bit less than, a little bit, you know, uh, 25, 30 years, and Monroe is trying to feel his way. We've got all kinds of rivalries in the world, and it turns out that there was imperial powers that be, Russia and Europe, that were thinking that they might come to America, especially, actually, on the West Coast, if you can believe it, Alaska down to San Francisco. And so Monroe promulgated this doctrine, but here's what he did, and here's the important part, because what I always think about the Monroe Doctrine, and it was so useful to frame this one, by by the way, I'm stealing most of my thoughts here from Phyllis Schlafly, who both taught me, but also wrote about this, and I'll put it up on social media. But here's what the Monroe Doctrine said, the quote, one of the quotes that matters most. Quote, the political system of the Allied powers... So in this case, the Allied powers, meaning European folks as well as uh, uh, Russia, the Allied powers describing, uh, is essentially different from that of America. So the political system is essentially different from that of America. We should consider any attempt on their part to extend their system to any portion of this hemisphere as dangerous to our peace and safety. America should say very clearly under the Monroe Doctrine, the political system of the Chinese regime is essentially different from that of America. Essentially different. The guys like Monroe actually used words carefully. Essentially different. What we know at this point in our history is that the communist regime regime in China, their system is incompatible with America. And we should fight like cats and dogs to keep them out of our hemisphere, or at least say it better, out of our back door. The influence of the, of the Belt and Road Initiative, which is a spending, uh, a, a spending spree by China, where they, they, they command their economy to raise money for them. They have slave labor from the Uyghurs. They have persecution of the Fulan Gong and Christians. They have fentanyl they send to us. I'm going on, they make money on. They use their economy, command control, to fund investments all over the world. And they go to smaller countries and they say, hey, we'll help you build roads and bridges and all that. And we should recognize they're not doing that because they're benign. Now, you can say, well, neither is America. Yeah, but we're not an empire. We don't build an empire. We never built an empire. Go back and if you want to criticize Britain for that, Great Britain, fine. Not us. And you can say, well, our influence and our, our technology, I, we can have that debate. But in terms of the incompatibility of the system, there is no political system in the world that is incompatible with ours, like China's political system, the communist regime. And so forget the G7 and all the mamby-pamby around and, you know, Boris Johnson and Biden are embarrassing themselves. They act, they're, 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 oh, they're all saying, well, my wife is so much better than me. Isn't this great? I mean, they're just pathetic. 
And they're acting like, you know what they're acting like? They're acting like yesteryear. Boris Johnson isn't that old, but Biden's acting like it's the 1970s and 80s, because that's all he knows. And it's a swamp motif. It's the swamp stink. And it's a failure. It's failing America. Whatever its intention starting in 75. By the way, when did Joe Biden get into the Senate? 1975, maybe? Might have been. Right around the time that we go G6 to G7. And that period of history, we'll look back on it. And they'll say, okay, the Americans, you know, succeeded in the Cold War against the Soviet communist system. But you know what they're going to look at and say? They, they took their own system, the American system, and they just about, well, they put it in peril. Let's say it that way. Both internally, through stupidity, bad education, other things, gutting the rule of law, corruption, and also by allowing and not understanding that the communist regime is different, fundamentally different, than any other political system in the world now, and therefore reaffirm the Monroe Doctrine. That's my, that's my complete, I'm, I'm not, it's not a, it's not, I'm not um, uh, debating it, I'm not wondering out loud, I'm saying 100%, that is where we should be, we should get ourselves focused on it, because that's, it, what's at stake is much bigger than even trade or uh, jobs or the economy, it's this political system that holds people living together. All right, I've got to take a break. Uh, thank you for that. that my, my, I've been excited to talk about that all day because I've been thinking all day. We will be back. We'll be back with Ted Malik. He'll talk about the Democrat Party and Jeff Stevens about his book. Uh, we'll take a break. Be right back. Ed Martin, Pro America Report, back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in the Pro America Report. Time to check in with our old friend, Dr. Ted Malik. He's got a new piece up over at AmericanGreatness.com. This one made me smile, and I forwarded it on to about five different people. The headline is, America has long had a racist political party, and we'll get into that in a moment. Of course, Ted Malik is a well-known uh, author. Uh, he's, uh, uh, he leads the Roosevelt Group. Uh, his full name is Theodore Roosevelt Malik, and his uh, 18 books he's got, with the last one that uh, about Trump, the plot to destroy Trump. Uh, welcome back, Ted. How are you? I'm very well. This this uh, piece that I wrote has gotten a lot of attention. The former speaker <laughs> just sent it to every Republican in the House and said, "Use it." Uh, wow. You know, this is I would talk, this piece is about the racist party and the Democrats. I just want to point out where I live now that the Commonwealth of Virginia is now set up. The Democrats had a primary earlier in the week and that, you know, the great party of the Democrats of, of uh, inclusion and all. They put a white guy in his 60s at the top of the ticket and two more white people. One's a woman, but no people of color. And the Republicans nominated one white man one black woman and one Hispanic uh, man for the top of their ticket. So who's got a more inclusive party? But more importantly, Ted, because you've written on history, you've written well, history books. What, t t tell us the history of the none of the at least none of the candidates <laughs> were blackface this time. <laughs> no, they did actually. No, no. The one that the one that won attorney general is the guy that wore blackface. He admitted it that the attorney oh, general has good. been renom renominated. His name's Herring. He actually admitted, you know, Northam said, I'm sorry, I was in the picture that the governor and it, he never admitted whether he was in blackface or the KKK outfit. And then he just never talked mm -hmm. about it. And the media never let him do it. Herring actually said, yeah, sorry, that was me at UVA when I was in college. I, that's me in blackface. He got reelected. He go. beat an African mm -hmm. African-American delegate, a young man. Democrat ran against him and the and the Democrat Party in Virginia picked Herring, the guy. So but back to the point, the history of the part one party in America is racist. Walk us through that, Ted. 
Well, if you go to the Dunkey website or Wikipedia or all these other prejudicial sources online like the Southern Poverty Law Center, you would never hear anything about what you and I are about to talk about. It's, it's not a secret. Lots of historians, noted ones, have written about it at some length. But the left and the Democrats don't want you to know this. They obscured the facts. They tried to rewrite, basically whitewash their version of history. And that's because the Democratic Party was founded and stayed and still is a racist political party. It was their political philosophy, their public policy, and all of their candidates came out of that background. So I go through grainy detail. In fact, I've had so many emails on this, I can't tell you. I have school teachers emailing me saying, I've got to make this article mandatory reading for my students. They haven't read anything better since To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, uh, Well, walk us through it. Andrew Jackson is the founder of the Democrat Party. What was his deal? Admit it. Well, he's an ardent racist who owns slaves. I mean, not everything was wrong with Andrew Jackson. He was obviously a great general. He made a fortune in the cotton industry, entirely based on uh, slaveholding. And he had, a, I mean, a very low view of black people. <laughs> I mean, you just need to read what he said. But leading up to the Civil War, the Democratic Party had only one platform, keeping slavery and the plantation economy intact. In so you know, just walk through this this history about the sectional uh, conflicts, about the Kansas-Nebraska Act, about the Democratic Party, about suppressing the interests, you know, of, of, of other uh, political entities. Now, during the Civil War, the Democrats controlled the South, obviously. They fought the Civil War as Confederates to perfect, I mean, to preserve uh, slavery and that, that way of life. The Confederacy never had another political party, because all of the Confederates were Democrats, all the governors, all the generals, <laughs> all the leaders of the South. It was a war of succession. It was a Democrats' war of succession. Why don't we pin this on them? Why, why right. do we just roll over? Why do we roll over? Yeah, it's a, it is interesting. And we're talking with Ted Malik, and he just mentioned that, uh, I assume you said the former Speaker of the House, you mean Newt Gingrich, not Paul Ryan necessarily, but uh, your insight your insight on uh, why do we fight back? I mean, you know, you look at your piece, uh, the, the the Dixiecrat Democrat, this is, this is in 1800s. In the, in the 1900s, you had people like then Democrat, yeah. Strom Thurmond, right? And the Robert Byrd. These people were... They're, they're at their, right up until the 1960s, 70s, 80s. I would say... It's current even today. And I mean, my basic thesis is the Democratic Party prospers on the votes of the very people it has spent its entire history oppressing. And we know all the names of those people. And one of them is Joe Biden. Well, and that's the other thing is, you know what, I have to say, when you watch in Virginia earlier in the week, they nominate Terry McAuliffe, you know, white man in his 60s. And the Democrats nominated Joe Biden, uh, you know, a white man in his late 70s. Basically, the Democrat Party keeps telling constituents, hyphenated constituents that they're for them. And then they never give them a chance to be in charge. No. No, no. I mean, mean, this history is very, very powerful. It's very powerful. Why don't the, why don't the Republicans fight back? It was founded by the oh, Democratic no. Party. It was founded right. by them as a vigilante group to mobilize a campaign of violence and terror against the progress of Reconstruction and the Republicans. 
Right. So why, Ted, you observed... It was the first yeah, white no, extremist, you know, the Democrat Party. But so, Ted, you've watched politicians up close. You know half of them or more than half. You probably know most of them. Why don't why don't they fight back on this? Why do Republicans, for example, I, just I they never why take the lead? We have any backbone. I mean, there is a rare one here or there. And then we have somebody who stands out head and shoulders amongst the rest named Donald Trump. Why don't they get a backbone? Jim Crow allegations, right? All the rage today. Well, the real right. thing originated with the Democrats. It included all those right. abhorrent practices, racial segregation. I mean, Jim Crow was the minstrel routine that mocked black people. It was the Democrats' designation for segregated life. I mean, why does, don't we uh, tell you the t- truth, yeah. the history? Ted, does it, do other countries, do other nations have uh, struggle with slavery? I mean, I guess maybe they don't have this sort of African-American, the blackness as a characteristic or maybe mm-hmm. where it was not as clean. Is there is there a similar struggle? I mean, in a way, you have to admire the Democrats. They've been able to take their worst attribute, blame it on somebody else and everybody buys it. I mean, in other places, they don't get away with this. Yeah, I mean, and there is no other American uh you know, equivalent, the Canadians obviously didn't have slaves. I mean, there was slavery. I mean, just, just to get the record straight, was predominant in the world for all of history. So the North American slave trade is a, basically a minor footnote in the history of slavery. Now, a more interesting question is there are more slaves today in the world, if we're talking about sex slaves, child slaves, indentured servants, than there were at the time of the original slave trade. So we've done nothing to advocate that. And I would say the Democrats have done nothing on their part. I mean, when you look at the list of, the, of these Democrats who are their, you know, their most famous oppressors, we can go over the list. Bull Connor, George Wallace, yeah. the Dixiecrats. Right. Uh, I mean, look, look at Strom Thurmond. Look at, look at Senator Joe Biden from the slave-holding state of Delaware and his best friends, Democratic Mississippi Senator Democrat. James Eastland, Democratic Georgia Senator Herman Talmadge. These are demonstrably racist, and they're his best buddies. Joe said in the campaign, this was last year, we didn't agree on much of anything, but we got things done. Joking, he said, (laughs) they never called me boy. They always called me son. Yeah, the uh, wow, the uh, it is true, you know, and also I, I, I don't know why when we get asked about the Civil Rights Act that we don't say, wait yeah. a second, the Republicans are the one that forced it through. Don't don't uh, you know when when somebody I remember Rand Paul, when he was running the first time he got caught and they said, well, you know, will you uh, I guess it was re up the Civil Rights Act. And he had some answer that he wasn't ready for. But, you know, it, it was the Republicans. The Democrats were actively filibustering the Civil Rights Act for years. And it was Republicans the that finally pushed it through history. The longest filibuster in Senate history, uh, I mean, you know, over two days long, was was conducted by Senator uh, Strom Thurmond to stop that act. It was the Republicans yeah. who voted with the Northern Democrats in order to get the voting right and the Civil Rights Act passed. I mean, it's yeah. I don't know why we don't take credit, both for Lincoln <laughs> and for what we did, and actually just point out who these Democrats were and still are. I mean, yeah. when you talk about senators like Robert Sheets Bird, what sheets do you think <laughs> they're talking about? 
Right, right. It is amazing. All right. As always, Ted Malik, you're ahead of the curve on this, and I'm glad that it's being passed around. The piece, again, is at amgreatness.com, American Greatness. America has, a lo- has long had a racist political party, and then Ted Malik goes through the Democratic Party, po- prospers on the votes of the very people it spent much of its history oppressing. Thanks, as always, Ted. We appreciate your time. Good seeing you. All right. We'll take a break, everybody, and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Now, I'm having another, I'm having an author on a second time. His name is Jeffrey Stevens. By the way, this is Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And Jeff Stevens' book is uh, one that was, came out on my son's birthday. Now, you got to follow this because this is all about Father's Day. It's my son's birthday. You all know, my listeners know how much I love my children and how great, great a gift it is to be a father. And on my son's birthday last year, so December 8th, 2020, uh, a book came out, Post Hill Press, and uh, Jeff Stevens is the author. And it's called Fool's Errand. And Jeff, I had you on the show uh, a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago. And I have to tell you the truth. I hadn't finished reading the book, but I finished it since then. And it's really great. And here's the setup, everybody. If you're looking for a Father's Day book, I like books about the relationship of fathers and sons. For me, obviously, I'm a father and I'm, I'm a son. But uh, the uh, in this one, Fool's Aaron, it's about a young man, youngish man. His father has died and he gets a letter from his dad. Before he died, the dad wrote a letter and it sends him on this sort of uh, wild goose chase, and it turns out it's really cool ending. Um, so, Jeff, uh, thanks for writing the book. And if people are interested, they can get Fool's Errand everywhere you get books. But here's the question I want to ask you. How much of the, the writing, because as a reader, I was thinking about my dad, and I was thinking about my sons and my kids. How much of, as a writer, was this about your relationship with your dad? Well, thank you so much for having me back on, and it's a great question, and the answer is it's probably 100% about my relationship with my dad, who did die young, and as you know, and you did a perfect summary of the book, the deal is that this young man finds his letter from his father six years after the father dies, but it was written just before the father died, and it does send him on a wild goose chase. And what's interesting is how I came with the idea, because as you know, before this, I'd written a whole series of, you know, sort of right-wing conspiracy spy thrillers, which have been doing great and all that. But the reason I wrote this book was during the pandemic, you know, family became even more important than it normally is. And we got into these discussions about if you could spend one day with somebody who's gone, who would that be? And some people would say Jesus Christ. Some people would say Winston Churchill. But most people would say oh, God, if I could spend one more day with my mom or one more day with my dad. And so I came up with right. this idea because I would love to hear from my father one more time. And so I said, imagine if I found a letter from him that was written long before he died, and it began this whole idea for me. And as you know, I turned it into this international treasure hunt, and it was really, really a lot of fun, but it brought up so much stuff for me and my dad. Now, the facts, obviously, are largely fictionalized, but the relationship is 100% right. real. Well, and, and again, we're, to, to, we're talking with the author, Jeffrey Stevens, and, and uh, he mentioned uh, if you go to JeffreyStevens.com, and I'll put this up on social media, JeffreyStevens.com, you can see the book, the, the newer book, Fool's Aaron, and, and many other books. But um, back to that, because it's not a perfect, in this, in this book, the father figure is, is he's not a total, you know, it's, he's not a total loser, but he's not a winner, and he also is, you know, not exactly as reputable, and yet what he discovers is, uh, the son discovers that at a certain period in his life, he sort of was a great success, but he never had had 
talked that through. He never claimed that with his family. Again, that's a thing I think most fathers realize being a dad is about not not doing everything right and just trying to do as much as you can right right and so something about being a well, dad okay. makes me realize my dad my dad better but again I, I did that it almost like as a writer you were able to to hone in on that because that's what was moving for me thank you so much and yes because the father in the story kind of painted shall we say outside the lines and he was not yeah. a success in that he missed a lot but what i found fascinating too was to write the story from the perspective of this young man finally seeing his father through the eyes of his father's friends who you know we as we as children no matter how old we are we still had parents and we see our parents through the prism of our experience as children but our parents are still adults who have friends and who are viewed differently in the world and the more this young man digs into what happened there the more he comes to respect and understand his dad. And so that's great. I have to throw this in real quick, by the way. I love that your son is a Sagittarius. He was born on, by the way, <laughs> one of my best friend's birthdays. But here's the deal. I tried to bring that book out on my dad's birthday, and I'm going to tell you the truth. It's a week later, and so is my birthday. So we're all in there together, your son, my dad, and me. <laughs> wow, that's fantastic. That's great. Well, so, great. And, and, and now, yeah, that is great. Um, now, the, the, uh, another part of this I want to ask you about is – um, again, the book is Fool's Errand, uh, is, and now I'm saying for kids or for adults, whoever, uh, you wrote in a way that lets you celebrate what the son saw of his dad. In other words, dad was kind of a gangster, kind of not, a, not even a successful gangster, not a great, you know, not right. a great guy and whatever. And then, but then you went back and the, and the, not to spoil it, but the, what you found out, what the son finds out is, Hey, in this one period, the dad was a great success and it shines through. Most people can't get that. And so if your dad's gone and you're coming up on father's day, you're saying to yourself, I wish somebody could give me that glimpse. And my kind of point is you're doing it for him to imagine it. But what do you say? You know, uh, uh, the whole darn world, I mean, not the whole, but a lot of the world is living with broken homes, right? Divorces. And no matter what yes. you end up yes. feeling like, Oh, somehow my dad and mom didn't do what they should have, no matter what it is. However, like you said, we all think, how do you, how do, if you don't have the imagination to get to fool's errand where you could imagine it sort of a lot of, a lot of people have a challenge on holidays like this of, of being able to say, look, I don't feel good about myself because I'm not doing as well as I want, nor my dad. It's a kind of funny cycle that you kind of got to break by realizing everybody had a success like this guy. We just can't see it. Yeah, you said a brilliant thing, which is a lot of us live out of should have. My wife tells me all the time, don't live out of should have, live out of what is. And the point of the book is that we as, as children and then as parents we actually do the best we can do. And that's what people have to remember, that parenting does not come with a guidebook. It doesn't come with an instruction manual. It really is learn on, learn on the fly. And so even if our parents weren't perfect, you have to know that they loved you, that they did the best they could. Even if you come from a broken home, I guarantee you that whatever the differences were between the mother and father, they don't apply to the children. We have to remember that those parents did the best they could, and loved you. And that's the story. That's the message for Father's Day and Fool's Errand, which is even this deceased father, and as a deceased father, he, may, he is, as you know, a main character in the story, even though he's long gone. But the truth is, he really did love his son, and his son comes to realize that, and his son comes to realize that his dad really did try. Listen, we don't all succeed. 
not all of us are, you know, Tiger Woods on the golf course or Roger Federer on the on the tennis court or Michael Jordan on the basketball court. We're not all Mickey Mantle or whatever you want to say. But at least we give it the shot. And we should give our parents a break on Father's Day and Mother's Day and all year round. We should remember that they really did do the best they could. Um, I was just going to say, who's Mickey Mantles? I'm, who's Mickey Mantle? I'm just kidding. I know who it is, but it's just fun to say that because all those, I know all those guys are contemporaries. Uh, we're talking with Jeffrey Stevens, his website, jeffreystevens.com. I'll put it up on social media. The book is Fool's Errand, uh, and it's a really good one. It's a good one for Father's Day. Did you, when you are a writer like this and your website, I, I know when I go there, you can see not only books you've written and your biography at all, you do have a way to contact you. Do you, after writing as many books as you, you've written, you, you must be able to gauge the reaction by nowadays by not just social media, but by emails or letters. Oh, sure. Has this one, has this one generated a, a different kind of caliber of, of response? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, the Jordan Sandor spy series is terrific. People love it. They're entertained. But this one touches a nerve. I mean, I've had women, I've had women get in touch with me and say, even though this is a father-son saga, I thought of my mother and I cried right through the end of the book. And I just kept thinking about it after it was done. It's just a different level. And by the way, when you look for me, folks, Jeffrey Stevens, Stevens is a PH because a lot of people say, gee, I can never find that guy. Stevens is with a PH site on Amazon. And that's how you find me. But yes, it's really true. People have a different reaction to this book. This is a more visceral reaction, and it's great. It's been great feedback. Yeah, it is. Uh, well, it's a really good one, and I really enjoyed it. And I, 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 I try not to interview somebody when I haven't read the book or on my kind of uh, my listeners know I do nonfiction. I do first chapter, last chapter, and then I decide what else I want to read. But this one, I find I, I did get through it. Fools Aaron is the book. JeffreyStevens.com and Jeffrey is J E F F R E Y Stevens S T E P H E N S dot com. It's up on my social media also. <laughs> and uh, hey, listen, uh, listen, Jeff. Uh, happy Father's Day. Thanks for taking the time to write this you book. Uh, not just those great spy uh, uh, spy books. They're great too. But this is a a really nice one, and uh, we appreciate the time today well thank you just one quick last thought tell your son yeah sagittarius is the elite of the zodiac <laughs> <laughs> all right i'll try it i'll try it i don't want to encourage right, him too much he's, 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 he's yeah he's going to be a teenager he's a teenager now so he's already a little too confident i gotta break him down but anyway uh all right thanks uh jeffrey stevens all right and again the book is fool's errand and uh we'll take a break it's ed Mart here on the pro america report back in a moment this is the phyllis schlafly report a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. And we're upholding the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly, a constitutional attorney, and articulate voice for traditional values for more than 70 years. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. The transgender movement has seemingly come out of nowhere to ride the social revolution that seemed to power Joe Biden's lethargic presidential campaign. Last year, Biden's Twitter account posted, Let's be clear. Transgender equality is the civil rights issue of our time. There's no room for compromise when it comes to basic human rights. Biden's tweet is a classic liberal fallacy. In order to justify an extreme position, they frame it as a so-called human right. Yet liberals don't even know where rights come from. Just try asking a liberal how they define what a human right is. The definition changes depending on what's politically expedient for the left at the time. Our rights are given to us by God and secured in our United States Constitution. Despite all of this, Joe Biden's administration is pushing the transgender revolution with the zeal of religious conviction. 
Biden's no compromise position is getting a pass from liberal media outlets like CNN. Masquerading as news, one of its journalists pontificated that it's not possible to know a person's gender identity at birth, and there is no consensus criteria for assigning sex at birth. If CNN doesn't know the criteria for assigning sex at birth, maybe it needs to have a talk with its parents. Though the transgender movement may have seemingly come out of nowhere, this fight has been around for decades. Back when it went by the name transsexualism rather than transgenderism, the conservative titan Phyllis Schlafly was leading the charge in opposition. Phyllis was fighting that fight all the way back in 1978. Now, a couple of generations later, what was taught in public schools is on the verge of becoming mainstream. But it's not too late to turn this tide. The lies are pushed down the throats of impressionable children in school, and the damage can become irreversible for some. When this dangerous ideology is embraced by a child, it opens the door to confusion, depression, and astronomically high suicide rates. Parents, teachers, and all who care about our children, we must stop this radical transgender revolution before it's too late. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. It's no secret that globalists are bent on destroying Western culture. Whether the threat comes from inside or outside our borders, America must be protected from cultural Marxism and those who would deny American sovereignty. We're seeking your insight at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. And join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And I hate to sound like I'm coming back to uh, the same topic over and over, but I have to do this. Um, I, I Well, I'll get to it in a second. Uh, first of all, let me say, wish you a very, very good weekend. I hope you're getting excited about uh, Flag Day. Raise the flag, say the pledge. Raise the flag, say the pledge. The initiative that uh, General Mike Flynn has kicked off. We sold a whole bunch of flags. People are showing the flag, saying the pledge. Very cool thing. Very helpful. Very exciting. And I hope you're doing that. I hope you have a great weekend. So back now, we heard from uh, from Ted Malik and uh, Jeff Stevens there today. And please visit ProAmericaReport.com and l- listen to all these interviews and uh, and follow along. Uh, you know, with uh, Jeff Stevens' career as a great writer, novelist, uh, fun stuff. Now, here's what I want to return to. There was an article a couple of days ago about steel tariffs. Steel tariffs. Now, you will recall that one of the things that Donald Trump did was he put tariffs on industries and nations and places when they were taking advantage of America. And so a batch of tariffs went on steel, I think steel and aluminum. And this made uh, Europe crazy because Europe was, uh, they were cheating on on the thing too, and they were basically undercutting the price, and so we had to even it out. But here's the real problem, and they did bring this up, Politico alludes to this. China is the real bad actor. So watch what I'm saying here. China is creating a large portion, could be up to half of all the steel used in the world, which is used for building and production and everything else. And they're lying about their production amounts and they're flooding the market so they lower the cost of steel. So you can't, you can't easily make steel in a country like America where it costs a lot, it's got some environmental issues, it's got labor issues, if somebody else is undercutting the prices. 
And what China is able to do, the communist regime in China, is they have a command control economy. So what they do is they, they, they make sure that they underpay, they under environmentally protect more than we do. They lie about all that. And then they flood the market with cheap steel so that American businesses, if you go out and you say, I'm going to I'm going to export from America steel and it's going to go to, let's say, Africa, where they need to put in, uh, they need to do something. And you're just selling steel. When you get out into the market, the American steel is too high a price because it's actually been what it costs. And the Chinese is not what it costs because they undercut and under under uh, under uh, they actually do also give uh, less quality, but not sufficiently less quality that people won't buy it. So we're getting our our lunch handed to us on this on the front, this steel front. This is an example, by the way, steel and aluminum. It's it's an easier example to see because it's a massive amount of raw materials. It's not like a a, a finished good where you get like a chair or a TV or a phone, uh, although there's examples there too. But in this case, it's steel, raw steel. So you can, it's kind of fungible. Wherever you get it, you can use it. You don't have to be, it doesn't have to, there's really no, there can be differences in how it's treated and all, but in general, steel is steel, as opposed to if you make something, uh, you know, a, a, a finished good. So the problem of tariffs, what Trump did, was first of all, he was loud about it, right? He was loud about who was destroying the market. It's not the tariffs on European goods, that, that are, are European steel that's messing up the market. That's not it. We're doing that to equal out what Europe is doing too, but it's China that's doing it. And what needs to happen, and this political article alludes to it, but you can see, because here's what they know. They know if Biden loosens the tariffs for Europe, Okay, that's what Europe wants. Europe wants them to come over and loosen the tariffs for Europe. That means that Americans will have a lot more competition from European steel in addition to Chinese steel. So basically what will happen is American steel manufacturers will lose share. And guess who will lose jobs? Steel workers. And guess in what states? States like Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And so there's a political cost. By the way, but here's the thing. It's just wrong. America first means putting our workers ahead of the world by making sure the playing field is, is fair. It's not that we want preference. We're not actually overcharging. We're not putting on tariffs. We're not putting tariffs on other people because we want to distort the market in our favor. I mean, that has happened. It does happen. But generally, we don't do that. I mean, generally. Americans don't do that. I think we probably have done it in the past. We might do it again. And sometimes you'll do it for geopolitical advantage. But in general, on, say, the steel market, we're not interested in doing it for our own good. We're just saying treat us fair. And here's the dirty trick. For a long time, American businesses were happy to take the cheaper steel, even if it cost American jobs, because they were just chasing the almighty buck. And the reality is we've got to get ourselves turned around to the right side of this. And what Biden's doing in Europe, he's going to if, – if I had my bet, if I were to bet, I would say Biden is going to go ahead and give in – to the uh, European demands because they want to break, right? They want to break. They want to be able to uh, to uh, uh, to uh, get their steel on the market, and it will only cost us. It will only cost us. So it's not as simple as be nice to Europe, love. What you're doing, and if you can't get Europe, what he has to get Europe to do is stand up like we did to China. That's what needs to happen. Will it happen? I'm not sure. 
I'm not sure. I don't have a lot of confidence. I do not have a lot of confidence. All right, everybody. Listen, have a great weekend. Again, thank you to our great technical director, director Noah, uh, for doing everything. He's the technical director, producer, everything. You often jumps on the air with us. And uh, happy Flag Day on Monday. Get ready to celebrate Flag Day uh, and also Donald Trump's birthday. And uh, thank you also to Joanna, by the way, for helping us book so many great guests. And we will be back on Monday. We'll be back after the great weekend. Happy Flag Day, everybody. And talk to you then. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-Mark Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego.